Well, good morning. Let's grab our Bibles, shall we? Um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, just raise your hand and uh, one of our ushers will give you a Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, keep that one. It's, it's yours to keep. It's our gift to you. Uh, and if you don't have one of our bulletins this morning, there are sermon notes on the back of that that will be very helpful to you. So just raise your hand and our ushers will give you uh, either a, a Bible or a bulletin with the sermon notes. Um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning. Verses 18 through 39, and uh, how I'm going to start this morning is just to read that passage. And if you would, read along with me. Romans chapter 8, verses 18, and our text will be through 30, but I'm going to read us on through 39 to start. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patiently. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What weakness is that? For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, praise God, with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's our text for this morning. Should we read on just as a little bonus? Say, yes! Yes! 
what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, thank you for your word and its precious promises to us in Jesus Christ. We pray together this morning that you would open up our hearts and put in your truth. Anything that isn't your truth, would you please lay laying on the ground? But all that is yours, we want it. Let us feast on your precious promises and worship you. We can't do it on our own. Would you compel us to receive and to worship? In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, when my wife and I were expecting our fourth child, we were very excited, and our whole church was excited with us at Harvest Bible Chapel, Austin. Um, that is until I got a call at work from my wife in tears. Um, nobody but God knew what happened, but something had happened, and little Timothy wasn't alive anymore. Now I was crushed, she was crushed, and church was crushed, and they sprung into action, and they cared for us, and they loved us, and flowers, and meals, and I wasn't the preaching pastor, the, the main preaching pastor in that church at the time, and the preaching pastor called me, Brian Payne, many of you have met him, he preached here right after Thanksgiving, and Brian called me and he said, man, do you? do you want to preach this Sunday on the sovereignty of God? I was out of the blue, and I don't know how he thinks that idea came to him. <laughs> but it was put there by God. Because that is exactly what I needed to do. Because God took this passage, and he unrolled it for me, and he wrapped my heart in it, and he bandaged it tight. 
When I was asking and in situations when many of us would ask, do my pains, does my suffering and God's plan relate even? God says that they do. Paul wrote these inspired words of God here in Romans chapter 8 in response to suffering. He raises the issue of pain and then he responds with something shining and glorious, which is a glimmer of God's plan. God has a plan. I'm, I'm reluctant to even say that sentence. Not because it's not true, but because it's one of the most important truths. And to put it so succinctly, almost sounds cavalier. This is a broken, messed up world. And there has been pain tearing at us all week long. And for some of you, pain and brokenness and frustration has been tearing at you a long, long time. Maybe for some of you, it's only been occasionally. But for the rest of you, You feel pretty shredded. And you might ask, what do I do with my heart in all of this? What do I do? And the simplest answer that the scripture gives us, and we'll unpack it all, goes like this. Trust him. Trust him. He has a plan in the middle of all this. Trust his character, trust his wisdom, trust his goodness, trust his son's death and his son's resurrection. It's not a surprise to him. He has a plan. Trust him. (laughs) Again, I'm reluctant to say these things, lest they sound cavalier, but they are true. But the question comes, how? How do I go about trusting him? Well, Paul lays out for us, really, four ways we go about trusting God in the midst of suffering. All the way from 18, all the way through 30. So let's jump into it. How do we go about trusting him? How do we go about trusting him? Well, in verses 18 through 21, we see this. Consider your present in light of his plan. Consider your present in light of his plan. Verse 18 says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He makes this comparison. He says, the glory that's coming... And we've seen a glimpse of it just in the the words of Scripture. And we've seen his promises. He says, the glory that is coming is not, it blows away what we're dealing with at the present. Paul says it's not worth comparing 
By that, he does not mean don't compare it. What he's actually saying is compare it. Compare it. What I'm going through right now is so real. It's absolutely real. And yet, if we will do what Paul is saying here and compare it to the glory that is to be revealed, it will fade like a cloud as it's destined to do. It's not that it's not real. And some of you have seen war. Some of you have seen death, disease. Some have seen less, but you've seen enough. You've seen enough to be compelled to compare. And we should. A phrase I, I have used and heard often this week is living in the present. And that's absolutely right. We certainly can't worry about tomorrow. But there are two days to be living in. This day and that day. That's what we carry with us today and that day. And when we compare, they are not even on the same field. It boggles the mind to think what that glory must be because now is pretty awful. Compare it. And verse 19 says this, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The whole world is waiting for this. The whole world, not just you, is waiting for God's change. Yet the change centers on us, on those who are his. One day he will, he will pull back the veil and reveal those who are his. Those who have placed their faith in his son. Are you ready for that? Are you sure that you are his and that you are in him? Because it's coming, praise God. God is in control. He says so right here in verse 20 through 21. He says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What does that mean? That means God is in control. And his plan is to Free us from the effects of sin and death. But God is in control. He didn't lose control of his creation. He subjected it. He is in control. But sin is responsible. Sin is responsible. And don't misunderstand me. Um, I'm not saying that the effects of sin can be calculated like some sort of simple arithmetic, right? Jesus revealed that that was a mistake when he was asked the question, who sinned, uh, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, you, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. The effects of sin aren't that simple. It's not simple arithmetic. 
The effects of sin are like a black thread that is tangled all through all the world and all the sin, all the way back to the very beginning in the garden that cannot be untangled by us, but will be absolutely cut through by the living God. He's in control. But sin is responsible. And that's important to know. Because it's so natural for us to get angry when we suffer or when we see suffering. It's natural. And guess who's more angry? God is. He is more angry with sin and suffering than you are. But when you get angry, go ahead and get angry. Get angry at sin. Sin is responsible. And none of us hate sin nearly enough. But when you perceive that response to suffering happening in your gut, when you watch the evening news or you get the phone call or you get the doctor's report on somebody else or yourself and you feel it and you get angry, don't stuff it. Point it in the right direction. Sin has done this. Though God has never lost control. He's never lost control. And so I'm like, okay, well, hold on a second. If God has not lost control, how do I go about trusting him when there's this? Why doesn't he do something about this? He has. He has. He sent his son to receive ultimate suffering And take on sin that was not his so that we can be freed from sin and suffering. He has done something about it. And he is doing something about it. And he will do something about it. And when his plan is complete, freedom, freedom of the glory of the children of God. Freedom from it all. But before he completes his plan, before that plan is complete and we experience that, we live with brokenness. Everybody knows. Probably the only undisputed Christian doctrine. Everything's broken. The creation knows that. You can see it when you hear a dog sigh and look at you with those eyes. Like, everything knows this is broken. And in fact, Christians feel the tension the worst. Not, it's not easier. It's harder. It's harder. Still, we trust him. How? Well, Paul gives us this second way of going about it. The second important aspect of trusting him, not just consider your present in light of his plan, but fend for your hope. Fend for your hope in the glory of his plan. Verses 22 through 25, hold that for us. And and verses 22 through 24 right there, especially shows us that Christians feel the tension between what is and what should be. He says, 
For we know that the whole creation has been growing together in the pains of childbirth until now, but not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Who is most miserable camping in their backyard but those who have known the Rocky Mountains, right? We live under fluorescent lights when God has shown us the sun. And not just shown it to us, but he's actually put in our hearts rays of the sun. And yet, we live here. We have to know that that tension exists. If you're a young Christian, I just want to tell you, you have to brace yourself for experiencing that tension. You have to brace yourself. You will experience knowledge of the brokenness of this world more than if you didn't know the Lord. And you will need to brace yourself in that fight for hope. And you're like, well, fight for hope? Ah, that, it kind of sounds like trying to live like something is going to happen no matter what I'm dealing with right now. Yeah. That's right. That is integral to hope. That is integral to hope. It is hope. Fight. Fight for it. Fighting for hope is as integral to hope as any other aspect of it. Like gardening is to having a garden. Like working is to having work. Hoping is to having hope. It is active and it comes under assault. We don't have all that God has promised to us. We don't have it. He's put his spirit in our hearts. He's put his word in our hands, but he has not given us all yet. And so, we hope. That's why it's hope. And verse 25 says, When we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Patience. Pretty misused word um, regularly. Patience is kind of like, we think of it kind of like as a a passive thing, sort of waiting around. Patience is not passive. Patience is active. It is eager. It is focused. As we wait for the glory of God, we're not waiting like waiting in a doctor's waiting room. That's not patience. That's not the posture of hope. We wait for it like a soldier holding a position, right? Nothing is going to move me off of this spot. God has made these promises, and I will stand here until they come. I will stand on this faith. I will stand on this hope. And there will be many things and many words that will try to move me from this spot, and I ain't going. 
That is hope. That is waiting for it patiently. It is active. But when your world gets rocked, things can feel confusing really fast. Even if we know God has a plan for glory, we don't know the path that it takes. Our, our, our imagined path, our wished-for path, our very much desired path is perhaps not the path. And the place we feel that first might be in prayer. Right? This whole week of prayer. And it has been, um, I don't even know what the word to choose for that. This week of prayer started on Sunday. Yesterday, we had a prayer meeting uh, for the men, a men's prayer summit. We had a women's prayer summit later in the evening, and they were glorious. It was phenomenal. Thank you uh, for all of those who were praying with us there and were praying with us elsewhere. But we feel this tension in prayer. We prayed for them to be healed, and they weren't. We prayed for those folks to not go through with the divorce, and they did. We prayed this way, and God went that way. Now, how do we trust him? Well, Paul shows us another way, another aspect to this, this third way. Trust his help to pray towards his plan. Trust his help to pray toward his plan. Verse 26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What weakness is that? We don't know the path. We don't know how, what to pray for as we ought. But... The Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. In and through even our groanings in prayer, with even these, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He takes what may be very feeble ignorant, though bold, prayers. And he takes them to God perfectly, articulately. And in perfect accordance with his will. Groan. <laughs> groan. Even Jesus groaned at sight of suffering. Remember the story of the death of his friend Lazarus? And the Bible says in, in John 11 that Jesus, uh, I think the ESV translates it, Jesus was deeply moved, which is a, a great translation because it's very difficult to translate it literally. Uh, literally, if you were to take that word, it, it would mean snorted like a horse. <laughs> you ever been to the point where the only prayer you had 
do it. If that's the only prayer you've got, don't fail to begin to pray because that's all you got. The Holy Spirit will intercede with our groans even. And as we grow and as we understand God's word, our prayers may change, our prayers may become more articulate. But whatever you do, go ahead and groan. Don't fail to groan because that's all you got. Do it. Do it boldly. Do it confidently. Verse 27 says this. He who, searches the heart, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Hey, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit's prayers are always fruitful. Never fails. He prays according to God's will. And he's doing it on your behalf, even while you pray. It, it kind of reminds me of those uh, children's coloring books that use the magic pen, right? You know those? So you, when, you, you, when you got a kid who um, wants to color, but really they're like three, you give them one of these books and they take the magic pen and they've got this white sheet uh, and they scribble the magic pen and oh there's the picture and it's coming in in perfect color and you just keep on scribbling this is all I got this is all I got God this is what I want this is what I desire this is what I want please 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 I don't really know anything else to say God but ah! and the Holy Spirit knows what is the mind of God the Holy Spirit knows according to his will. So don't fail to pray. Pray bold, confident prayers, not because of confidence in ourselves or in our understanding or even in the level of our desire. Pray bold, confident prayers because of his goodness. He will not give you a serpent when you ask for a fish. Pray bold, confident prayers because of his wisdom. He will not give you a life limited by what your wisdom can voice. He will give you his wisdom. And it is always good. Lift your prayer boldly. In fact, let me ask you this. Do you have a place of pain to pray for? Do you have a place of pain to pray for? Everybody does, unless um, you have temporary amnesia. Um, would you do this right there on your notes right there on your sermon notes there are um, a couple of lines right there would you just jot down what that place of pain to pray for is just jot it down and I, I'm going to tell you um, in a little while uh, a way in which uh, that can be prayed for uh, for you before you leave the day okay um, this is a praying church. We will pray for you. Okay? It, you won't be embarrassed or anything like that. Um, it'll be private and personal, um, but you'll have an opportunity to be prayed for. So would you just jot down that point on your notes? And when you see those kinds of pain, you, you have to ask, like, is he really for me? Is he for me? I know he has a plan. 
I know he's wise. I know he has his path. But what will it do to me? Is he for me in all of this? And can I trust him that way? Well, yeah, you can. And that's the fourth aspect that Paul kind of unrolls here at the end of this passage. And I'll put it like this. Trust his goodness toward you in Christ. Trust his goodness toward you in Christ. That's always been his plan. Verse 28 says, And we know that those who love, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That is like one of our favorite verses ever. It doesn't say that all things are good. It says he works all things to good. Evil is real. Evil is absolutely real. And it'd be an illusion for us to say, well, everything's really good. It's not, but he is. And he's good toward you in Christ. And some things, some things are obvious blessings, and some things are terrible pain. But like gears of a clock, some of those gears move forward, and some of them move backward, but everything is moving those hands in the right direction. And the intricacies of our circumstances may be as intricate as the biology that he created. How, how could we piece it all together? But he is for you in Christ. You have to know that. You have to weld that truth to your heart now. Because when your car is upside down in the ditch, when your life is upside down in the ditch and the wheels are spinning, your theology is going to go to work. What you know of God's character and God's word and God's promise, that goes to work. You have what you packed. Pack it now. Know who he is and how he is for you. Weld it to your heart. That this is about Christ, not just better circumstances. Okay? Now this, this, this verse ends up on a lot of coffee mugs too. And uh, as well it should. Uh, I'm, I'm all for more Bible on coffee mugs. I'm all for more Bible. I'm all for more Bible memory. But it, it, be careful that, uh, as I think I've said before, we don't cut this verse out of context because we think this is the warmest part of the blanket and we're just going to take this part. Uh, it won't keep you warm if it is removed from the truth of what it means. And the blanket will just have a hole in it. This is about not just what we want, but what he has for us in Christ. To be conformed to him, verse 29 says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He loved you from the beginning. He sent his son to die and to rise so that you would rise too. That's the image you're going to be in. 
the glorious body that Christ received upon his resurrection, you will have also. And all things will be made new. Not just a risen Jesus, but a risen Ricky, and a risen, risen Kara, risen Ben. And then we will realize that as he worked all things together for good for us, that, that good was not just like, oh, this is your medicine and it's good for you. But rather we will look back and we will say, you were so wise. All that I experienced, all that I am dealing with right now on Sunday, you were so wise. And he set it up from the beginning. Verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. He has put together an unbreakable chain. He is holding you in these links. He has you, and that's why you can trust his goodness towards you in Christ, because it's not about you. It's about him and his promises. He has purposed to place you in Christ and he will not let you go through every link of that chain. And you say, well, it says predestined. Well, how do I know if I am? Uh, how do I know if I'm chosen? And yet, Josh, you often propose to me that I make a choice to place myself in Christ. Well, how is that? That I would be chosen, but yet I would choose. It's a paradox, right? God is in control of everything, but how is it that you are choosing to think about choosing right now? Don't get hung up on that. <laughs> the Bible doesn't get hung up on that. The Bible doesn't get hung up on this because the way to know is clear. Trust Christ. And you will see that he has had that for you all along. Trust Christ. I'm going to ask the uh, ushers and the band to come on up as we prepare to, to worship in song and as we prepare to worship in giving. They're going to come forward. And I just want to say again, It's not cavalier. It's truth. He has a plan. In the middle of this very broken world, he has made a way for redemption and ultimately for glory. Trust him. See this now in light of that then. Fight for the hope that you can have because of his promises. Trust his help in your prayer. Do not say, well, I, you know, I don't know the plan, so I'm not going to pray. That is not what he has for you. If that's the response that you had from his truth, it would clearly be an unbiblical response to a biblical truth. Trust that he is for you in Christ. As we cling to Christ... Pray with me. Lord, 
you have broken us and you have bound us up. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness, and yet you have not given us everything yet. But we will not fail to trust in you. We feel this tension maybe more than anyone because we know your goodness. Help us to see it more clearly. Let us trust you more profoundly today than we did before what happened today. I ask that you would keep us. Hold us in your son. That's the only place that we are safe. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.